Welcome to the American Families of Faith podcast. Hosts Lauren Marks and Dave Dollahite share insights gained from two decades of research interviewing various people about the crossroads of faith and family life. Visit AmericanFamiliesOfFaith.byu.edu to learn more. All right, Lauren Marks here and Dave Dollahite. Great to be with you. Today we're going to be talking through a chapter from our book, Strengths and Diverse Families of Faith. And the featured chapter that we're really looking forward to discussing is Weathering the Storm, the Shelter of Faith for Black American Christian Families. We were joined on this this chapter, originally produced as an article, by Mallory Millette and Lauren Cook. They were the, the leads on this article slash chapter and were graduate students at the time bright, capable folks, by Antonius Skipper, who is presently a professor at Georgia State University, a dear friend of ours, another dear friend and and longtime colleague, Cassandra Cheney from Louisiana State University, also joins us as an author, with Dave and I coming up in, in the rear. Great experience. We'll talk just a little bit about the research background that, that preceded this article. So I'm I'm actually curious to have you chat for just a second about Skip and Cassandra, uh, two of your doctoral students there at Louisiana State University, who who did the bulk of the interviews for for these, uh, or at least anyway, if you could just share about those folks. You bet, uh, Antonia Skipper. Skip he he affectionately goes by was a PhD student of mine and Cassandra Cheney's as as well at LSU. Skip is a scholar of Black families. He also studies gerontology and is interested in physical, relational, and mental health, particularly among uh, older African Americans, is a young rising scholar in that field. Cassandra Cheney was a longtime colleague of mine at LSU, left there about five years ago. Cassandra is, is one of the nation's leaders on uh, both Black families and Black social issues, particularly as a qualitative researcher, staggering, very very prolific and diverse scholar, a delight to work with. And we're grateful to have both of them as insider Black American Christians on this article, both on a personal level and on a, a scholarly and academical level. They bring a great deal to bear. Terrific. So... One of the things about our American Families of Faith project that makes it a little different, most qualitative research projects will study a relatively small number of folks, you know, 10, 20, 30 people. And in our case, we've interviewed about 300 families, a total of about 700 people. And so the size of the survey, or sorry, the size of our study is, is quite large. But then we tried hard to to have different uh, what we call religious ethnic communities or religious racial communities uh, of around 30 families per group. So each of the faith communities um, that we're going to talk about in our various podcasts have around 30 folks, which the qualitative scholars say is a it's kind of a magic number where you want to get enough people to have enough diversity but not so many people that you can't do in-depth studies with, uh, in-depth analyses of. And so in this case, we will be looking at African-American, uh, Black Christian 
families and looking at uh, marriage and family life. Um, according to a 2016 Pew study, African-Americans are the most religious racial ethnic group in the United States. Of black Americans, about 83% identify as Christian, many also in other faiths, including a good number in Islam. Black Americans tend to attend church more often and rely more on religious communities than white Americans. And those who've looked at the literature of, of the many studies done on African-American families look at kind of two general themes, that Black Americans, more than those in other racial groups, tend to talk about and emphasize a deep faith in an all-powerful and familiar God, and how that God serves them as a resource during uh, often very challenging times. And so that whole issue of religiosity and being more religious than most other groups one of the benefits that that brings for those who are quite religious is that they have an opportunity to have a rich and deep social network of support uh, within their faith community. And often uh, they think about and refer to and treat uh, that faith community as uh, a sort of a, a church family. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. One of the benefits that recurs for individuals, particularly in the black community where they have rich social support in their faith community as they tend to do better in terms of mental health. There's less loneliness, less feeling of disconnection, etc. But uh, the benefits that we see in research don't end there. And in fact, one of the, the single most striking studies I've ever seen in the social sciences, it's been done over 20 years ago now, but it still bears mention by Hummer and colleagues. It was published in Demography in uh, 1999. Very large nationally representative sample of more than 20,000 Americans. And what Hummer and colleagues found out was that among African Americans, those who attend church or worship services more than once a week have a longevity rate or live 13.7 years longer than their fellow black Americans who never attend religious services. Again, one of the more striking findings that, that I've encountered, striking enough and interesting enough that uh, with some colleagues previously, we took a close look qualitatively at potential reasons behind that. We won't go into that in this particular podcast, but the, the take-home message here as we move into our in-depth interview data, is that particularly for Black Americans, faith, religious faith, in terms of mental health and especially for physical health, it has measurable impacts that are significant. And I, just yesterday, I was reading an article uh, that I was asked to review for a scholarly journal, and the article was on Black Americans and how they sanctify their marriage and family life. And it actually mentioned a recent study uh, done in 2017, published in the Journal of Epidemiology by Vanderveel and a number of colleagues uh, that they said actually confirmed uh, that research done by Hummer back in 1999 when it was first done. So this, this is still um, a really interesting issue, how powerful religion and uh, religious belief and religious practice and religious community can be in the lives of, of anyone, and in particular, the research is indicated in the lives of Black Americans. So in some, uh, research indicates that those who were 
religiously involved, who are you know, actively engaged in their faith communities, tends to help increase a number of things. And for black Christians, the research has shown, as you said, it increases physical health, but also mental health, longevity, marital and family relationships. And so that's one of the reasons why we did this whole project on the American Families of Faith research is that we had seen a number of studies showing that religion does tend to make a difference in the lives of people, and often it tends to be a positive difference. And we were interested in looking in uh, more depth at the reasons, the, the processes that go on, the hows and whys, so to speak. And so like most of our studies, you know, this, this podcast, we're going to talk about a little bit more specifics about what it is about religion that seems to make a difference in people's lives. Part of the aim behind these podcasts is to give you a peek behind the scenes, why we did what we did and how we did it. I just wanted to share a quick story about a friend, previous graduate student of mine at Louisiana State University, Katrina Hopkins. I was teaching a graduate class on diverse families, and uh, Katrina is from Portland, Oregon, uh, from a, a marvelous black family. And she read, along with other students in, in a diverse family class that I was teaching, I read through a number of volumes, including a volume called Family Life in Black America, almost 500 pages in length, a lot of useful information in it. And when we finished the book, Katrina came up to me after, after class and said, you know, we've read this thick volume on family life in Black America, but there was not a single chapter in it that addressed strong marriage-based Black families like the families that I come from. Why? And I said something very articulate like, uh, uh, <laughs> no, no idea, good question. The same question surfaced in a similar way uh, from another undergraduate student. This, this again was at LSU. Her name was Tanya Davis, asking whether it wasn't more positive research literature on strong black families, like the one that she came from, much like Katrina. At some point, something clicked. And I thought, instead of just saying, uh, why don't we go out and, and interview several such families? And I approached both Katrina and Tanya. We had a, a winter break coming up. They were going to both be going home. And I asked them how they would feel about interviewing some of the strongest black families that, uh, that they personally knew, and they were delighted. And that got things rolling for us. Of course, we didn't stop there. We wanted to interview many, many others. So um, part of the folks that you interviewed, along with folks that others have interviewed, uh, has led us to have in the American Families of Faith Project a total of 26 uh, black Christian families uh, with uh, 55 individuals, so uh, some um, youth from some of those families that I did the interviews with, regarding how prayer and faith influenced their marriage and family processes. The median age for the fathers was about 50 and for the moms was about 49. Uh, average length of marriage was 20 years. Couples had an average of three kids. Uh, the sample was economically and educationally diverse, uh, coming from 
uh, nine different states, California, Delaware, Georgia, Illinois, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Ohio, Oregon, and Wisconsin. So folks from various parts of the country. And 80% of the uh, participants were from major urban areas uh, like Atlanta, Cleveland, Milwaukee, New Orleans, uh, and Portland. 26 of those, well, as, as I said earlier, you know, just 26 families, you might say, well, that's a pretty small N. Uh, and it is if it's, a qual- if it's a quantitative study. But for qualitative studies, that's in the ballpark of, of what we're looking for. And the advantage that we have in the American Families of Faith Project is that we then get to look at strengths across various faith communities. So we have about 30 families from about 11 different faith communities and different groups. And so um, although it's true that in any given study, you have to be a little careful about making generalizations to to a sort of a broader population, unless it was a random sample, unless you have a very large number. In our case, we're not really necessarily trying to uh, to make claims about what is, and, and we're really trying to share in more detail what those who we spoke with told us about their life. And we're not necessarily interested in making claims about how it is for all black families. We're really focused on how it was for the black families who were interviewed, who went into quite a bit of detail and in interviews that lasted two or three hours often. Um, and so we're, we're looking to to focus in on as much detail and as much sort of personal experience as possible. You know, one thing we've bumped into several times, Dave, and this is back to the process behind doing research, we made a choice with these strong black families that we interviewed, and in fact, with all the families that we interviewed, to try to interview wives and husbands together. It was important to us, not just as researchers, but as sisters and brothers in the human family, that these these interviews be really positive, uplifting experiences for, for the wives, the husbands, the, the mothers, the fathers involved, and that they go away from them from the interview experience strengthened and feeling feeling closer together, celebrating their marriage, celebrating their family. I think back, many of our academic colleagues have uh, have dinged us a little bit and said, why did you interview wives and husbands together? Uh, why didn't you interview them separately? From their perspective, that was the way to do things. And giving you, a, a, again, a peek behind the scene and our aim that these would be strengthening, enriching interviews to anyone familiar, deeply familiar with uh, with the black community. The idea of, for example, sending a, a really attractive 25 uh, or you know 28 year old young black woman who's a graduate student up to the door and saying to <laughs> the the wife and mother who answered it, I'm here to conduct a two-hour interview with your husband and you don't get to join is a profoundly bad idea. It's culturally inappropriate. It's personally inappropriate. And I just just want to throw that out there. And so as as we move a, a little bit later in our podcast today into exchanges and interchanges, we'll try to convey a little bit of, of the back and forth, of the warmth and the closeness that, that we felt between these wives and husbands. We won't be able to share with you, you know, when the wife reaches over and squeezes her husband's leg or the husband slips his arm around his wife and says, that's right, hon, 
not all that comes through, but we'll do our best to convey in their own words the kind of marital warmth and familial warmth that we experienced in these couples as we interviewed them together, which was a beautiful research experience for us, Dave. Yeah, and that whole idea of why didn't you interview people separately is often premised on the idea that people aren't going to be honest uh, with an interviewer if their spouse is there, you know, that they're just going to uh, keep things, uh, th- they're not going to get real. They're not yeah. going to not yeah. going to uh, reveal what they really think. And certainly there is some truth that when we are in the presence of another person, we're more likely to be thoughtful of that person and to not maybe be critical and, and perhaps uh, we're likely to be a little bit more um, careful or gentle. That may be true. However, it's also true that anyone who's been around married couples who've been married for very long, and in our case, uh, the average age of marriage of these couples was about 20 years, uh, anyone that's been around a long-time married couple knows that they have this banter, this back and forth, this disagreement. The idea that they're going to sort of be polite and not honest was actually not at all what we experienced. Uh, We experienced having couples disagree with each other, correct each other, challenge each other. You know, we didn't have all out fights and brawls, but we certainly didn't have merely polite conversation. We we definitely had people who uh, filled in gaps, who who challenged um, things or or added to what their what their spouse said. So that was one of the joys of these interviews was watching longtime married couples interact, have a conversation with each other about their faith and their family life. And sort of together they brought, we think, a more full and rich picture of their marriage and how faith influences their marriage than there than would have been the case had we interviewed them separately. Yes, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, one of the the efforts that we really make uh, in in our approach to research is to to give the mic uh, to insiders, so to speak, to try and and allow their voices to shine through, uh, as we've written, to be choir directors and not not diva soloists, so to speak. Uh, and as in other podcasts, we we are intending to share several direct quotes from these women and men, individuals and families. And as we went through the interviews. Of, of these uh, rather remarkable families in, in some cases, we noted some general life strengths, some marital life strengths, and some parenting strengths. And we'll go through some, some quotes that address each of those three strengths in order. In terms of general life strengths, uh, something that came up related to coping. We called this theme, Faith During Difficult Times. And a direct quote from one of our participants says, He's God's. He's going to sustain us. Uh, Many of our participants expressed uh, how God helped them with the cares of life and gave them strength. Uh, uh, One mother named Jocelyn, by the way, all the names we use are synonyms. Uh, Jocelyn (laughs) uh, expressed in Jocelyn's words, there's somebody much greater than you who can carry those burdens for you. You don't need to be up all night worrying and caring, going through those cares of life, because Scripture teaches us that we can cast all our cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us, and He's going to take care of us, and He's going to sustain us. 
Another example came from a mother, uh, we'll call Monique, who spoke of God's active role in her uh, life's trials. She said, I think that no matter what happens in our lives, and there have been some negative things, even aside from our serious car accident, you can always go to God. We believe in what God says in his word, and there's always something in the word that will make it good. We believe that all things work together for good. So even if the things aren't good, we know that God is there. We know that we've got a source of strength. And by the way, as we you know, read these quotes, you know, we, uh, we're a couple of white boys here, and we would love to be able to have the people mm-hmm. who we interviewed actually be able to say in their strong uh, language, in their, in their uh, own voices, uh, what they're saying. And so we, you know, we, we won't try to uh, do voices. Uh, we, we, we just simply read uh, the words, uh, knowing that, that these words reflect a lifetime of devotion, of striving, of overcoming. And uh, we're grateful that folks were willing to share their, their lives with us. Another strength uh, in the sort of the general life area was a theme that we called the power of prayer gets us through, which was a a direct quote from one of our uh, folks we interviewed. And prayer was, uh, as in many other studies of black Christians and and of religious people from many backgrounds, prayer was a major uh, emphasis, a major um, influence in many people's lives, um, in particular coping with uh, difficult times. One mother shared, one strong belief that I have is in the power of prayer. I do believe that prayer will get you through anything and everything. That's my testimony. I know that I can go to God in prayer, and even if I pray and I don't get the results that I'm seeking, the Lord does give me peace to know that he has heard my prayer. And just because I don't get the answer I want does not mean that he has not heard or answered my prayer. Another prayer-related account from a father named Jamal illustrated how what he called the prayers of others reportedly helped him through a particularly challenging time. By the way, we found this this theme so frequently among uh, the black families that we interviewed, talking about the power of prayers with uh, the prayers of others, lifting them, strengthening them, that uh, Antonia Skipper, uh, our, our friend and colleague Skip, did an entire article zeroed in on that uh, on that concept and and how much power it carried for these families. Here we'll just share one or two related comments. Jamal says, it may not have been my prayers, but it was the prayers of others that helped me get through those hard times. Maybe that's why a lot of us don't have more hard times. It may not always be our prayers. It may be the prayers of others. Uh, a mother named Jocelyn offered a glimpse into her life approach to, uh, to personal prayer. Uh, she said, I don't just have one special time that I set aside to meditate or pray. I do it all day long. I do it in the course of my work day, driving in my car, in my home, in my bed. And that helps me make it through challenging times. When I'm faced with a difficulty, no matter where I am, I can always whisper a prayer to God and just ask for his strength to sustain me when I'm going through some things. It helps, it does. One of the things that we try to do in this particular book that, that we're drawing from, um, Strengths of Diverse Families of Faith, was we, we included, um, not in all the chapters, but in many of them, 
kind of general life strengths and then marital strengths and then parenting strength. So we've been talking about general life strengths, just sort of what aspects of religion tend to make a difference overall. Uh, we're now going to shift gears and move to our second domain of marital strengths. And in that, the first theme we'll talk about is marital sanctification, or as uh, one of our uh, folks said, when God is part of your marriage. The idea of sanctification is a religious concept that certain things are made sacred, um, that are uh, imbued with sort of sacred power. But from a psychological perspective, the term sanctification has been used by our colleague Annette Mahoney, whose um, work on looking at how people tend to, even if they're not religious people per se, they tend to grant holiness or, or um, a specialness to marriage and family relationships. And the, you know, the belief that marriage is sacred or it's ordained by God is, is a very common belief and was certainly uh, widely expressed by our black Christian participants uh, for whom uh, marriage was not only a holy, uh, not only a, a kind of ordained of God, but that there was a holy commitment to each other that involved God. Uh, one wife will call Gwendolyn expressed her belief in marriage as a sacred institution when she said, you both want a marriage that lasts and you want your marriage to glorify God. You want it to be an example of Christian principles and biblical principles. And you make up your mind that is that my marriage is going to testify of Christ. And when you both say you're going to do that, then you don't let the little things interrupt that. Uh, another black Christian husband uh, named Randall shared some pretty similar thoughts regarding the sacred nature of marriage, uh, as well as how that perspective has, has helped him uh, and his wife, Tanya, um, work through some of the differences in their marriage. And these couples were fairly candid uh, with us about the struggles that had come. Uh, Randall said, we're individuals. We battle. And a lot of times she doesn't like the differences, differences in me. And a lot of times I don't like the differences in her. But because we both believe that marriage is a sacred vow and that it's a vow we took before the Lord, we're going to honor that vow and we're going to go through with it. We said the same vows for better, for worse, in sickness and health, for rich and for poor. Another husband uh, named Rashad similarly expressed, we both feel that marriage is a bonding thing. As he says, whatever I join together, let no man put asunder. I believe that my faith made me love my wife a lot more. We are very different. If it weren't for faith, I probably would have run a long time ago. You don't want to do what I want to do? We just don't see eye to eye? I'm gone. But when you believe in God, yes, the boat still gets to rocking. But the Bible says, in me, you can weather the storm. And that is one of your all-time favorite quotes. I, I don't think that there's been very many articles that we've published that you haven't wanted to include that quote. It should be in every one of them. Every one. Yeah, every one of them. And, and uh, when, you, when you think about that person who said that, what do you think, why is that quote so important to you? Why do you think that quote makes, uh, makes such an important point? I'll never forget doing this interview. Uh, it was in Southern Delaware. This is this is a marvelous a marvelous couple. 
Uh, I need to be careful to make sure to use their pseudonyms. It was a couple. Uh, the wife was tempted to give up on her husband at a number of different points. He was not always a, a person of faith. He, he was not always a deeply committed husband, but uh, she, she loved him, nurtured him along. Uh, although it's not in this article, he said she invited me every Sunday to go to church with her. Just say, you want to come, baby? And he would say, no, thanks. And then finally, he said one Sunday morning, several years into their marriage, he finally said, I think I'll go today. And he went and he had a Blues Brothers kind of experience. Uh, for those of us that are familiar with the old John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd uh, uh, film, he said, Lauren, I just felt like the preacher man was talking just to me and nobody else. It changed me. It shook me. And uh, I, I made some dramatic changes in my life. This is a couple that was unable to have biological children. And after, after that experience, they finally took it to the Lord, as they said, and prayed that he would bless them with a child. Within one week, they got a call from a family member who had unfortunately been incarcerated, asking if they would take over as, as parents uh, for a child. And they did so. Two other children would later follow uh, in, in their own unique way. And this is, this is deeply meaningful to me because it has been a number of years since I conducted this interview. And the wife uh, that he, he speaks of with both profound affection and in terms of battling, uh, we, we lost her uh, to, health, to health concerns a few years ago. And so this in some ways is, uh, it, it's echoes from, from a, a beautiful past, a marriage that I admire and look up to. So that's part of the reason this, this means so much to me. They, they did, in fact, weather the storm. You're talking about uh, him experiencing the words of the preacher that, uh, you know, were just to him. It reminded me of one of my most memorable experiences, uh, going to a, a church service of a, another faith during the six-month sabbatical that I spent in New England. And then the uh, eight-week summer sabbatical I spent in Northern California, I attended um, hundreds of services of, of many, many faiths, and, uh, and I enjoyed uh, all of them. They were fascinating. They were, they were uh, so, so interesting to see how different people worship God and how different faith communities practice their faiths. And I tried to, as often as possible, bring one of my kids uh, with me or you know, one or more of my kids with me on those kind of experiences. And, and one time I went to an African Methodist Episcopal Church, AME uh, Church in uh, New England, and I happened to bring my daughter with me, who at the time was 11. And my kids have asked me not to mention their names when I tell stories about them. So I won't, I won't mention my daughter's mm. name. I won't give her a pseudonym, but mm. I'll, I'll, I'll just try to tell the story without mentioning her name. Um, well, I had already interviewed 
the pastor of this uh, church uh, uh, the week before. We'd spent about an hour. Like I always did, I interviewed uh, the leaders of whatever faith community I was uh, going with. I loved getting to know uh, the priests and rabbis and imams and pastors uh, and bishops of various faiths. And, and I had had this marvelous interview. The pastor was a big guy, very athletic, very deep voice. And, uh, and he had a PhD in divinity, uh, just an incredibly charismatic guy. So I was really looking forward to this, uh, this service. And we were in a little um, one-room church, uh, white, white church house, um, maybe held 60 or 70 people. And uh, my daughter and I were sitting there and the service got going and it was fairly gentle. And, and then, you know, things got more enthusiastic as if you've ever been to a, a black church, uh, the experience is, is a powerful enthusiasm of love for God and, and enthusiasm of praise for God. Truly full-bodied. Full-bodied. And as the service got going, and in particular the sermon, um, as the pastor was preaching, it's, he started off really, I, I was expecting kind of a hellfire and brimstone, kind of a very energetic sermon. And actually he started off very quiet, very calm. And after maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I was thinking, oh, okay, I, I guess my daughter's not going to get to have this, you know, this full black church experience. Well, no, he was just getting warmed up. And uh, as he began to go, and the sermon lasted, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes at least, let's just say that more energy, more enthusiasm, more involvement, more comments from the congregation, more, more standing, more praising, more, uh, just more energy. And by the end of it, the place was rocking. And my kids call, uh, many of the churches that we've attended, they call them rock and roll churches when there's a band, um, when there's, you know, really high energy. And let's just say that this was the most rocking and rolling uh, church that I've been to in terms of the spirit-filled energy of the place. And people were being slain in the spirit. People were, um, it was just, it's an amazing experience. And I looked over to my daughter a couple of times and her eyes just got bigger and bigger because we come from a faith community where our services are very quiet, very calm, very, what's the right way to say it? They're, they're, they're just very quiet. Uh, and so she was, uh, um, uh, this was all new to her. And over the years, it's been fun to talk with her. She's now 27 or 28. And it's been fun to talk with her about that experience. And she loved that experience. And, uh, and it opened her eyes uh, Absolutely. To, to, uh, to, to various ways to, to love and worship God. Well, a final example of marital sanctification comes from a wife uh, named Raven. When she was asked about advice that she would give, uh, that she might offer to young black couples about marriage, she said this. They need to realize that marriage is God's design. And you can't truly experience marriage without having God be part of it. When God is a part of your marriage, that's when you can experience the true fulfillment of what a marriage is. The two come together and they may, that is the two people come together and they may be different in many, many ways. But when they come together and love each other and respect each other and do marriage the way God has designed it to be, it's very fulfilling. I can't resist mentioning here that, uh, as with an, another finding we mentioned earlier in the podcast, this, this idea of asking for advice, counsel, 
that these successful wives and husbands have had in enduring marriages. Uh, Antonia Skip, or good old Skip, went back and analyzed all such utterances, insights from these from these strong black families. And it, it's in process right now, but uh, has been accepted for publication. He put together a piece called Endless Love, Wisdom and Counsel from Enduring Black Marriages. Endless Love is in the Lionel Richie and Diana Ross song that, uh, that many believe is the greatest duet ever recorded. So it's, it's interesting to note that, that a, a large part of our aim in this project, the American Families of Faith Project as a whole with two to 300 families and with this very rich branch of 26 to, to 30 families with, with black couples is to try to, to present successes, keys, insights, wisdom to those who may not even yet have married or are still rather early in their marital life um, to, to draw from wisdom like we just heard. Uh, another marital strength that came up several times was uh, wives and husbands talking about the role of spiritual practices, including prayer, which we've touched on briefly, but also uh, studying the Word, as they called it. Uh, one participant called such practices the roadmap for my marriage, end quote. Uh, a husband named Calvin said of his marriage, I have constant conversations with the Lord in good times and in bad. Having those conversations gives a person wisdom. You get foreknowledge of things to happen and you get a better understanding of some things that are past. A wife and mother uh, that I'll call Sheila spoke of how the word or the Bible has helped her with her marital ups and downs. Uh, she was transparent like many were, that there had been difficulties. She said, we have our ups and downs and our differences and disagreements. And I think being able to go back to the word and read scripture and see what scripture says about it helps. That is the roadmap for my life and for my marriage. And for many of these black families that we interviewed, spiritual practices gave them an anchor they gave these, these couples and families hope, as we just heard uh, from Sheila. They could provide a marital roadmap, especially during difficult and challenging times, which uh, these families were no stranger to, uh, we assure you. And you know, you've mentioned, uh, just in passing, uh, some of the work that you've done with Skip and others about strengths in Black marriages. And you, you wouldn't say this because you're a modest person, but you've become along with your colleagues, uh, leaders in the whole field of strong black marriages. And that's a, it's one of those areas where, as you mentioned earlier, when you talked about the graduate students or a graduate student and an undergraduate who wondered, you know, where was, where was the writing about the kind of family that I came from, a strong uh, marriage black family. You've let out in producing a number of articles, and I think you're working on a book, as I understand, on uh, strong uh, black marriage. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that social science, if all social science does is uh, help people understand the social world in which they live, that's good, that's nice, but that's unfortunate if that's all that it does sure. is, is, is provide 
sort of intellectual uh, or academic knowledge. You have worked hard with your colleagues to try to provide information to people that might actually help people strengthen their marriage. Sure. I, I think a core belief that you and I have, uh, one that's kept us together as research partners for, for 25 plus years now, Dave, is that uh, while the medical model and social science can be of, of utility, studying ills, social ills, relational dissolution, frankly, a lot of the bad news and the pain, uh, it has its place and it's important. But there are wonderful things that we can learn from studying the strengths, the successes of diverse families around us. And that that is particularly true, I think, with, with these uh, wonderful black Christian families that we've had the chance to interview. And that, you know, this work that we're doing, um, looking for strengths in various faith communities and strengths in families and marriages uh, in various faith communities, it's consistent with the broader movement in psychology called positive psychology that's been around a couple of decades, but really it's taken off in the last five or 10 years as uh, more and more scholars have decided that while it is certainly important to understand dysfunction and, um, and problems and why things can go wrong, it is also as important, if not more important, to invest uh, scholarly energy in trying to study what are the factors that help marriages to be strong? What are the factors that help build strong families? What, what, are, the, what are the beliefs, the practices, the, the approaches that people take that actually lead to success in their, uh, in their marriage and family? Because, you know, it's tough. Uh, it, it's probably tough in any era to build a strong marriage and a strong family. It may be particularly tough in the times in which we live uh, when there are so many forces pulling couples apart. There are so many cool types of entertainment that people can, can watch on their screen that might pull them away from each other. There are so many economic stresses and health stresses and conflict stresses across various kinds of social divides that uh, make it Perhaps, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to say that our time is the most difficult time in history, but it's not easy to build a, a long-lasting, strong, happy, functional marriage in, in the culture in which we live. And so our effort has been to try to, to, to talk with people who have shown that they, in our case, you know, at least pe people had to be married at least seven years, and the average was about 20 years. So we've interviewed folks who have weathered lots of storms. You know, the, as, as you quoted uh, uh, one man's um, way to phrase it, uh, the boat gets rocking in everyone's marriage. Sure. Uh, and, and we're looking for um, ways that people have drawn from their faith to help them to weather those storms. So we're now going to shift gears to the third domain of parenting strengths. So we had some interesting things that people said about what it was about their faith that helped them to, to be better parents. One of the main themes was um, a relationship with God. Many parents spoke very personally of God and their relationship with God and how that relationship uh, influenced their relationship with their children. One mother we'll call Kayla said, in raising kids, you want to teach them to take everything that happens in their lives to God, whether it's a test or whether it's a decision 
about if they're going to go to prom or go on a certain date, just to make God the focus of it and include him because it's a relationship more than a religion. Another mom spoke of drawing strength from her relationship with God when she said, I think being involved in church has strengthened my family, my marriage, and has helped us in raising our children because I just don't think we could have done this outside of a relationship with God. Both these moms and many others uh, spoke about how a relationship with God helped them to be better in their relationships with their kids, with their, with their spouse as well. And both of them talked about how important it was to teach their children of how important it is for them to have a relationship with God so that their children could draw from that same source of strength that they had drawn from. Another parenting strength that uh, that came up from from these mothers and fathers that we interviewed is faith holds my family together, direct quote. Orlando referenced fatherly responsibilities, as he called them, that were outlined by God from, from Orlando's view. He said, the more I study about my creator, he really outlines my role and what the responsibilities are. And what that means to me is to really embrace my family with all the heart and all the love that I have. The life that I have and the world that I live in sometimes are opposing each other. This world tries to pull people apart, but through my religious faith, I'm able to hold my family and the people I love together, even though I know that there's a force that's working against love, peace, and harmony. Orlando, a little bit later in his, in his interview with us, spoke about how his faith influenced his feelings towards his family and his responsibility to them. Uh, he said, there is a higher standard. There is a much higher standard I've learned about. And what that standard means is that with this life that I have, I must give my life for my family. There's no limit to what I should give to my family. Tara, wife and mother, um, talked about a similar kind of idea. Um, she used the word obligation. She said, I have a strong commitment to family and I feel an obligation to our kids. Once you have children, you have an obligation to present to them a marriage or a family so that they can know what it looks like and what it feels like so that they'll know what's right. So both Orlando and Tara spoke about this sense of love and responsibility and commitment to family. Uh, that includes a lot of unselfish sacrifice, the giving of your life for someone else. And this was a theme in, in many faith communities but was particularly strong in our African-American folks. The last parenting-related uh, strengths that we can touch on today relates to the following. And, and this is another, sometimes, you know, when, when you uh, put together themes as a researcher, you're just trying to globally summarize what you saw. That's typically the way we do it. But, but other times, one of the participants will say it better than, than we can, and we just borrow their phrase. We did that several times in this particular chapter, including with the final parenting strengths theme. Quote, the Lord loves me, and then I can reach that love out to my kids, end quote. Several of the black Christian participants explained how the love that they felt from God helped them to better love themselves and their children. Uh, they also spoke of the importance of showing affection. Uh, one father named Marcus 
shared his related perspective that, quote, in order for me to love my kids, I must first love myself. So when the Lord loves me and I get to know who I am and get to love myself, then I can reach that love out to my kids. The love I have for them is the same kind of love God has for all of us. Uh, Marcus went on a little bit later to, to explain that deeply loving his children is something that's helped him through some profoundly challenging times. He said, at least one time in the course of every day, I tell my kids, I love you. And I give them a big hug. I hold them. I let them know I care. I let them know I love them, not just because it's just the thing to say, but because I do. And I tell them, God loves you too. So even when we do go through life's little struggles, it's okay. Because someone who loves him is going to be there throughout the good and the bad. Similarly, when, when asked what advice she would give to other black couples about marriage and parenting, I referenced Skip's uh, article coming out on just that topic. Uh, a mother named Jackie said, in terms of advice, always remember to tell each other that you love each other. Don't be afraid to hug, to embrace. Let your children see you embracing. So the unfortunately, the existing literature on um, black families, and I've read this in a, a number of articles recently where they've mentioned that the research emphasis has unfortunately been on the vantage uh, black families from the vantage of disintegration and dysfunction. Issues plaguing the black community, such as absentee fathers, single parent homes, have dominated research on African-Americans for a very long time, really since uh, 1965 when the Moynihan uh, report, when Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, wrote his report on the black family. And unfortunately, that um, focus on problems and dysfunctions has been published a lot more than have the, the ways that African-American families draw strength from their faith, from their culture, to make their families uh, places of joy and peace and connection. What our research and, and a number of other studies are beginning to show is that, in fact, African-American families are remarkably resilient in dealing with a, a very large range of very difficult issues, but in responding with faith and with uh, love and with devotion, and with compassion, um, and with, with strong family relationships. About 80% of the, uh, the American black Christian families that we interviewed came from, from inner city contexts. About, about uh, of the remaining 20%, they were divided between the suburbs and rural areas. But uh, these were typically blue collar families. And in many cases, particularly for those who came from the inner city context, their, their marital status was often the exception uh, on streets lined with single mother families, with poverty, with need. For these families, the United States is not a post-race nation. Uh, poverty, often deep poverty, as well as unemployment, uh, inadequate educational opportunities, discrimination, incarceration. And many other social ills were far too familiar to them and, and to the people that they love. Elsewhere, we've, we've written about the concept of knocks of need. By knocks of need, we mean that when difficult times hit, in, particularly in these, these inner city contexts where 80% of our families come from, when difficult times hit, 
you have to knock on a door. You don't have a governmental institution to fall back on. It's your your neighbor. It's your brother and sister uh, next door that you lean on for help. Because these families had the resource of a strong marriage, often in communities, again, where they were the only, perhaps, marriage, perhaps the only two-income family, five or six houses in either direction, those knocks of need tended to come to their door first. Tires flat. Uh, I'm out of diapers. Uh, My kid's sick and we don't have any cold medication. These families, the ones that we interviewed, tend to be stop number one. Those requests for money, for help, from, from, in many cases, the less fortunate who surrounded them. We learned a great deal from, from their example. It's telling in some ways that every black family that we interviewed, and this came up without us even asking, but every black family we interviewed in our project uh, had housed voluntarily at least one child who was not their biological child at some point during their life. And there was at least one couple that we interviewed who'd taken in so many children for varying periods of time, at varying periods of time in their their marital life, that they weren't even sure what the number was. The deeply lived religion of most of these families was not a sanitized, upper-middle-class spirituality. It was a, a desperate, profound, and pleading faith of survival that even as we begin the year 2021, still contains echoes of the mournful notes of the shame of American slavery. We love Christer Stendhal's concept of holy envy, Dave, and it's our aim to look closely at these diverse religious, racial, ethnic groups that we, that we study and learn from, and to try to convey aspects of deep respect or holy envy that we walk away from, having studied these these groups for uh, varying groups for about 20 years now. With these black Christian families, theirs was not merely a faith that enriched or added meaning to life. Their faith was often life itself. While we can't claim to envy the plight of one of the most discriminated groups, in U.S. history. I think we both envy the profound depth of their living faith in a God that reportedly heard and and sustained them through poignant challenges, challenges that were and ever are present for most of these families. And yet, as we titled the article, borrowed from a phrase, in their God, they could weather the storm. As a social scientist who has read a, a lot of books and a lot of research over the years about black families, I have noticed profound growth and development in the field as the field has tried to wrestle with systemic racism, with challenges that only those who experience them can possibly really understand how difficult they are. And I've I've learned and grown from reading those kinds of studies. I've also deeply appreciated you as a white guy, devoting so much of your energy, time, 
resources, emotional and spiritual commitment to understanding the black family and to being an advocate for strong black families and strong black marriages. And I've watched as you have worked with a number of African-American students and colleagues of yours at, at LSU that you have been, uh, you've taken the skills that you have, the, the position of a professor, and you have empowered those you've worked with to, to do good re research, to do um, important kinds of scholarship that has highlighted the need to understand strengths and, and positive aspects of black couples and black families. And I, I'm really impressed that you've, uh, it's, you know, some people do one or two pieces in their life. Uh, some people um, chase the money, the funding. You have shown a commitment to understanding and advocating for black families uh, through your entire career. And I'm really impressed and I'm really proud of you. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Dave. As you know, as well as I do, there's an interesting phenomenon that takes place, an upward lift, uh, in that anytime you get to know an individual, a family, a culture, deeply, you cannot help but fall deeply in love. Yes, you see weaknesses, but the strengths tend to overpower you. The, the, the strengths are what is endearing. And in our experience, I think, I, I don't mean to speak for you, as well. But certainly this is true for me in, in my ongoing uh, love affair, frankly, with black families. You cannot give more than you receive in return. Whatever you tend to invest in, in other people, individuals, families, or, or groups, you get back with compounded interest. And I'm profoundly grateful for those who've been patient with me as I've tried to understand contexts far different from small town rural Oregon where I grew up. Uh, and we both come away richer, as do many of the students from diverse backgrounds that have had the pleasure of reading through these interviews and meeting these families. And I'm delighted that we got to share some excerpts from interviews with our podcast listeners today and hope that uh, you feel some of that same spirit and power and uplift from these families that are far too rarely in the spotlight. Doctors Dave Dollahite and Lauren Marks are both professors in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. The American Families of Faith Project shares research-based ideas about ways of making faith come alive in marriage and family life.